Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Welcome to Pixel Sift. It's Perth's own weekly video game podcast. Each week, we traverse the video game universe and some of the own of our own country. Actually, we do traverse across this country to get you the topics that matter to you. I'm Gianni. This is our eleventh episode, and we are streaming live on Twitch at Twitch.tv/PixelSift from the extremely prestigious and extremely high quality. Uh, house of old Scotty Quig. The House of Quig. The House of Quig. We're in the House of Quig right now. This week we're Take talking about that what you will. Yeah. <laughs> this week we're talking about fan expectations and post-release support. Ah, uh, yes, that's right, Gianni. We'll be touching on the controversy surrounding Pro Evolution Soccer 2016 and their outdated roster systems, uh, as well as other disappointing releases where our expectations weren't really met. Yeah, we also have an interview with Trent Custers from League of Geeks. Uh, Johnny, you spoke to him about their game, Armello. Yep, and it's something that they've been focusing on very heavily. They've mm-hmm. been making sure that they are trying to meet the expectations of a large group of fans that they have got in through their crowdfunding campaign mm-hmm. um, and going from there. That's what we've got on the show today. All that and more coming up on Pixel Sift. Oh, yeah, all that and more on Pixel Sift. Sorry, stealing your lines. That's okay. No worries. I'm just going to go to this. You're listening to Pixel Sift. That's right. You're listening to Pixel Sift. We are a weekly video games podcast and we are available on all the sources that you would I guess, usually find podcasts. Yeah, all the usual delivery systems. You can get on there, find everything on there. This week, I had the distinct pleasure of visiting the Arcade in Melbourne. It's a gaming co-working space that is home to some of Victoria's gaming devs. And one of the big successes of this scene are those lovely folks at League of Geeks. And in a two-part interview this week, we chatted about their debut game. I spoke to one of the founders of League of Geeks, and he told me what it was all about. Uh, Mallow is a digital board game, sort of, I guess you can imagine Game of Thrones meets Kung Fu Panda as a tabletop game brought to life, and that's what you've got, and throw in a bit of Studio Ghibli, some Miyazaki in there as well, and add that charm, and there you are, there you have it. Uh, So my name's Trent Custers, and I am one of the co-founders and directors of League of Geeks, and we made our Mallow. So why did you go the digital board game format when we've got a bit of a renaissance of physical board games? Well, it it goes hand in hand, really. As the renaissance of physical board games is coming about, there was also the release of the iPad, what, six or seven years ago. And that's when we founded Armello five years ago. And 
we were playing games on our iPad and we're all tabletop gamers playing, you know, these fantastic tabletop games that were coming out as the Renaissance was kicking off and we were also playing them on our iPad and they were just pathetic, really. They were insultingly bad as both as tabletop gamers and as video game developers. We knew we could do better and that the format and that the medium, this new genre of digital tabletop games deserved better. And so we were like, well, we want to make a game. We want to collaborate together. There's no better way to do it. We know the, we know the medium and we know how to make games within the medium. So let's do it. Let's just double down on this. So what, what can you do with a digital board game that you can't do with a physical board game? Have released? The main one is obfuscation of mechanics and systems and game state really. Which is funny because that's you know where some of the criticism has come in about the game, uh, but that's where we explore a lot of it. So, the perfect example is stealth. In a tabletop game, you have a character on the board and they're stealth, but for me to actually see them, I need to roll my dice and blah blah blah. But they're there. I know where they are on the board, and obviously, even on some subconscious level, that that creates a bias and that that factors into my decisions within the game. But with Armello, you just can't see the character. In fact, we made more changes to the game today to obfuscate more things when a character is in stealth. So there's a bunch of that stuff. And then just the basic presentation things, you know, this is what video games do. Board games work largely on abstraction. You know, from the knights, these, these beautiful regal horses busts in chess. You know, that's meant to be a knight on ho on horseback, basically. That's what it's... But it, we deal in abstraction a lot in tabletop games. And what video games does, or what it provides you, is we can actually bridge that gap further. We can make things more literal. We can remove or reduce the amount of abstraction needed. So instead of having these little coloured pips that you're moving around the board, we have fully animated characters that move around the board and, you know, attack and growl and, and you know, do, do their boast animation and are living, breathing entities for all intents and purposes and so that presentation level is huge for example when we brought it onto the digital platform that was one of the first things that we we figured out it's like okay can we make seamless tiles and can we have clouds and and how many in the game and how many characters can we have on the screen at any one time and let's get them animating and you know we had birds in the game before we had our quest system did you have to do it physically in in pieces of paper and yeah we had a we uh prototyped our mellow on paper for about eight months before we actually touched a line of code and so that was when we were working out of hours when we were first getting things off the ground and we were designing the profit share point system in the background and so we while we were doing that we were coming together every week and having like um <coughs> meetings design meetings business meetings you know the company meetings and at that and we would also play test the latest prototype and so it started off Blake just brought one in and it was just like ruled up satellite imagery um, that he printed off onto a big piece of paper and then we he wrote up some units on pieces of paper and we played like this little war game and then it was like okay we'd stop you know sort of halfway through or at the end of a game and we have a big design debrief what do we like what didn't we like what does it need to feel more like how can we what can we leverage better on digital platforms blah 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 and then at the end of that we'd obviously have a bit of a, a bunch of things that we want to change and then someone would put their hand up someone different would put their hand up to implement those changes and so you know then Ty would take it the next week and then I would take it the next week so that's why you've got this game that's sort of this hybrid mix of tactical like hex based battle you know that you would see in something like a memoir 44 and then you've got this in amazing like card play and then you've got this deep narrative dynamic quest system um, and the character role playing because those sort of three things are 
Blake, Ty, and my interests, right? So we there was that tug of war in equal directions um, that, that brought that. A big part of playing board games is playing with other people. Yep. And was there, when you had to make the decision to not have any, I guess there's no local multiplayer in the actual game. Yeah. And is that, was that a design decision versus, you know, you, you'd give up some of your obfuscation of stealth and things like that by having everyone in the same room? Yeah, we knew, there was talk of hot seat or pass the pad because we are originally aiming the game at iPad. And so we had spoken about pass the pad uh, at an early stage, but very much from almost day one, it was going to be a game that was you play on your own device whether it be an ipad or a pc and you play with people on their multiplayer with the connected devices so they have their own device because we knew that we wanted to one of the biggest parts about the, being a digital board game is that we're here as one of the first people or studios to work in this genre to explore this genre we had to experiment with obfuscation of game state and so that was a big thing for us uh, and we knew that if you could see, if everyone could just see what was happening on the same screen, then so much of that intrigue and the backstabbing and all of that that comes with Armello and that political side of things, the Game of Thrones part of our game, that that just wouldn't be there. It, would, it wouldn't have survived that hot seat environment. Because a lot of Armello's really information is power. And so, and we, we lean into that a lot. One of the things when I was playing the game is I noticed there's a big element of the randomization of rules very similar to like final fantasy tactics where you have the judges kind of playing all these different rules to mix it up is, is there an advantage in having a digital board game that you can release expansions and go well we're going to put up you know a weekly rule set or something like that yeah totally so we've just added in v1.1 which is our first major update so our mellow is being continually updated uh, just as if we we're in early access even though the game's seen a full release and we're continuing to support it with free major content drops and our most recent one, V1.1, Armelian's Raw, added house rules. So now you can actually just go through and change a bunch of features. And no doubt when we do our next update, V1.2, that will have new house rules. And we can just push, this is the beauty of digital platform, is that we can just, if the community says they want something, there's no manufacturing you know, time where things have to get sent off to a factory. You don't have to order it or leave your house or anything like that. It's just boom, it's right there. And we can just throw it in the game. So yeah, there is a lot of cool stuff. And of course, you know, we can just tweak little things and experiment, fool around with different gameplay modes. It's it's great. And are there any mechanics that you would just, I guess, retire in a future patch? Or would you get to a point where you're thinking, well, this isn't working exactly how I want it to, and maybe we'll remove that and going into future or? Yeah, totally. We've done that a bunch of times all the way through early access. We pulled a bunch of systems and we'll do it moving on. Like nothing sacred in the game, really. Of course, the, the goal is to make the game as good as it can be. And a lot of the time in game development, that means cutting things, you know? And so if something has to go, lest it, you know, be one of our favorite features, um, it'll, it'll go if it makes the game better, if it makes the experience better for the community, Five for seconds. sure. That was Trent Custers of League of Geeks. We'll be back with Trent a little bit later in the show. Pixel Sieve. It's not Pixel Sieve. It's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sieve. So, today we'll be discussing uh, games that have kind of let us down uh, after they've been released with their uh, backup support and trouble support and everything. Uh, this has come off the back of Pro Evolution Soccer 16, which is uh, the, the secondary, the backup, the underdog to FIFA, and it has been for a long time. Um, they finally released a really, really great game, but uh, it's been out for four months now and they still don't haven't got up-to-date rosters for all the teams. 
which is as far as sports games go for people that are really immersed in that kind of the gaming of sports uh, it's a big deal all right so run me through exactly what happened there <clears throat> so basically the game was released four months ago okay um uh, p- past a transfer window mm-hmm. um, and they still didn't kind of update to that date. Like they released after the transfer list had closed, uh, the transfer window had closed. I see. And they still didn't keep it up to date. So- and and still four months later now, they've only released one update and it wasn't a full update. They have promised one for next week. Um, and on top of that, that, that's just for console issues. And on top of that, um, PC have had extra issues with just general problems with the game. So this is like the transfer list is the list of real the players, life players, stuff, the players you know, that have moved so between like, teams. Exactly like that. that. So okay. you might have some wicked player that's just been signed to the team that you support and want to play with, but you uh-huh. can't because they're still playing for their old team because it's out of date. And the support just hasn't been there. Yeah, not at all. Uh, right. And there's been a huge complaint about it. It's been you know a, a big, a hugely covered issue uh, <laughs> and just nothing's been done about it. There's a difficult, I guess, for a lot of these companies that are d- developing these games that they've got to manage the expectations of their fan base and a lot of what they're trying to do is they're trying to sell these games to these fan base saying yes we're going to why would you buy my game versus someone else's game because we're going to be providing x and y and we'll be doing all these different things in order to do that so something like that in a sport game where rosters and player movements between teams is very important and part of what people do is they not only simulate the the, um you know the, the season as it goes along but they also go through and they will you know play them out exactly as is they'll play matchups and things like that you've got to try and maintain that on i think when your backbone is such a persistent world as the like real life league i think you need to have these updates come out when they're scheduled and when they're relevant because otherwise then you just lose the key factor of why your game's good well that's it i mean it's a sports game that you want to play real life people Mm -hmm. so if it's not real life and up to date with real life then you lose that and i say it a lot but that immersion and that's what it's all about you know and that's why we were talking about 2k with their advertisers uh, advertisements the other day yeah that's why that game's just on the ball they do it just like a basketball game they have all the advertisements everywhere they have all their rosters are like constantly updating and that's why that game um took over because it used to be nba live was kind of the top and then they switched over and i mean probably could have done that years ago but they yeah, just there really are no excuses enough. now are there like, there isn't I mean... with, the, with the state of i mean that's like yeah 10 years ago maybe maybe mm-hmm. you could excuse that kind of thing but with the uh, technology that's available to us today I, there's no excuse and i guess it's not like these things are a surprise like they're scheduled to happen they and... know they're coming they know yeah. when the window's opening and mm-hmm. they i'm no programmer but surely, like they they could uh, you know compensate for this, but like it, or allow it, for it. Pro- programmer or not, the game is a promise that it would keep up with these things. It's a it's a mechanic. I'll so tell you what, let though, down your fan base. It depends on what you do, and often these things as well can come down to a money game. And when they're trying to play these games, it costs money to have someone sitting there making sure they're updating rosters. And it's probably not as simple as we think it is just to go through but and do that. But it should be. Okay. Well, put it this Listen, way. Listen, developers, it should be easy. Just click a button and make it work. Well, put it this way. I could have done all those transfers at home quicker than, like, much quicker than that. And we find... Because, I, I, you know, that's the, it's not like it's an inability to do it within the yeah. game. It's I, something that you can do You find home, there's a... Often, you shouldn't freaking have to. On a lot of these sports games, you do see a lot of people go, especially on PC versions, where they have... A, a ability for people to go and update the rosters as they go. Uh, along. Okay, so uh, I'm like... a little confused. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> this, so this game, so usually when you play these sports games, 
you can make your own team. How does how does, how does the roster coming out affect this mechanic? Well, because these teams are based on real life teams, obviously, like okay. all the soccer clubs throughout the world, yeah. uh, down to you know the right player names, the right numbers, everything. It's 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 supposed to be right, like real life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then, so then so these can, statistics. Sorry, I'll just oh, jump sorry. in. So you, yeah. you don't necessarily you can create your own player and do mm-hmm. like a career kind of mode thing, like with most of those sports type games. So it, it is about playing with real teams, and you might yeah. have your own player for you, but you don't mm-hmm. have your own team. They consisted uh, constitute uh, real players. Well, sometimes you just slot into a real yeah, exactly. Team you you slot in as a player. Right. Ronaldo's on the bench or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Scott Quigg. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, David Beckham. Just uh, take a take a break there. Happens a lot. It's interesting. Look, you know, this is something that we've come across now because we've got a, an internet connected device. And, you know, if you were playing on the PlayStation era, no one expected the roster to be up to date. We just expected it from a certain point And then we've gone from there. Um, is there a problem that, you know, are we expecting too much from the people who are making these games? You know, something, for example, which, you know, a game like the, from EA, one of the big EA games has got a big company behind them and they're, making games from lots of stuff and then there may be that company is well probably is konami yeah so it's not exactly a small company konami's not a, no it's not a small company um, konami hasn't had a great couple of years though they've had a few no they haven't and this is just uh, like a testament to that yeah uh, which is just a sad uh yeah sad state of affairs um, um yeah i look i don't know i think it's a difficult difficult topic to come across because when you've got these games and if they've been sold as some particular thing and then they don't deliver on that, then that's sure. But I mean, with but it's a, not just sport games. There's other, yeah, other I mean, Pro Evolution Soccer is not a new franchise. It's not like, no, just like I see it. That's the thing. I am a Pro Evo person. That's why I've been following it quite yep. like intently. I've been playing Pro Evo for 10 plus years or something. I just prefer it to FIFA. I always have. Yep. Um, so I want them to be better. Well, because like game wise, I think it is a better game. It's just as far as being an all rounded kind of supported game. EA are just killing them. Well, something else that didn't really meet expectations, I thought personally, was yeah, Evolve when it came out. Evolve? Yeah, Evolve is the um, the shooter, which is, it relies on the, the unbalanced teams. It's a spiritual like. successor to the Left 4 Dead franchise. Yep. So yep. The, some of the team uh, who were previously working at Valve have gone off and, and made this other game, and it is sort of be it's kind of a, yeah, lopsided multiplayer. Yeah, it's lop- lopsided, lopsided multiplayer is a better way to put it, but like the, it, for something based very heavily on your multiplayer system in fact it's there's no single player it's just multiplayer the way that you found your team and the way that you played with your friends it that whole i mean the game when it got when you got into it was actually quite intuitive but the way you found your game was just not on the ball like it just it wasn't clear what exactly you were doing in each menu and it it was very it was it could have been easier to find your friends and find a game and i think the other a big big culprit yeah. for these games is um you know any of the peter molyneux games where he oh, hypes yeah. these things like crazy and will you know say you can do this you can do that you can plant a tree yeah. and it will grow in real life um peter molyneux is now a verb yeah to peter molyneux something yeah um but even uh, if you speaking of evolving if you remember yeah. the spore game that came out which was uh-huh. the uh you know the i guess it's sort of like a sci-fi multi-stage sort of game yeah when that came out everyone was like well you know spore is going to be this huge uh, next spiritual successor of of the sims and it's going to be you know something like that and mm-hmm. when it came out it, it sort of you know people's expectations weren't met whether that was to do with marketing budgets or maybe they didn't communicate to the audiences they were, they should have done as they were going through the process you know it's it's a difficult difficult kind of process to kind of go through yeah um like i said it's it's they're not alone there's plenty of other games that do it it's just i feel like um 
if games are going to be of kind of like that stature, like games of that stature, they need to, especially ones that are competing with such huge kind of uh, franchises like FIFA, they need to be better. Would you like to see game companies moving into, instead of having to long-term support these games, and I understand they want to sell their next um, roster of, of games as they go through, but would you like to see them open it up to the fans who are super passionate about it and get them to manage the rosters and maybe have like a, a mod website which would be like, you know, subscribe to this RSS feed and then every new uh, player roster can come in here or you can be like, well, we're going to play Crazy Leagues or whatever and you could subscribe yeah, to okay. it. Yeah, okay. I like that. I like user-generated rosters. Yeah. Um, that way, if you put it from the, the outset saying... The company themselves, they're not going to be the ones that are going to be chasing after this because they're going to be moving on to the next things. They're going to put, give you the bare bones. Yeah. And a lot of games, like once they've got the bare bones, you know, think of all your sandboxy games. As soon as people take those bare bones and turn them into something crazy, mm. that they are better for it. So, I mean, would that be a better solution, do you think? I mean, I can't say that it won't be because it does sound like it would be good. I mean, it's not without its uh, risks and issues. But yeah, that sounds like a great idea. It would be nice. All right, well, let's get into the second part of our interview with Trent Custis. He talks all about Kickstarter and managing fan expectations, so we have a good chat with him about that. That Kickstarter number, basically, the 200K that we asked for, AUD, that just came from a bunch of research and then a bunch of maths, essentially, just crunching all of that down. So we, we're very big on process here at League of Geeks. Um, I think a lot of indie studios just typically rush into things, you know? They just, they're like, oh, I've got Game Maker or I've got Unity and I've got a friend who can code and yeah, if we just try our hardest and we just make a game that is cool and all our friends like and, you know, feels really great and I'll read up some articles on indie marketing and stuff, it'll, it'll all just work out, which is utter bullshit. So um, we, we're very, very process heavy and research heavy uh, before we attack anything, whether it be Kickstarter, whether it be a marketing campaign, whether it be early access or full release, or even just speaking to a new platform holder like Valve or Sony or something like that. We go through at least a month of rigorous research and reaching out to other people who have had experience with the platform, both positive and negative you know, experience with the platform. And then we basically form an attack plan and then we go about executing that. And that's what we did with Kickstarter. So I was already, I, I was fascinated with Kickstarter the moment it's sort of the gaming took off um, for it. And so I'd been, I had a little, well, not a little, a big spreadsheet where I was tracking the most successful Kickstarter campaigns and crunching all the numbers across you know, what the average backer spend is and what the ratio of, you know, successes are and, you know, the number of comments for, you know, in comparison to the amount of money that they made and everything. So we knew a bunch of things like that successful Kickstarters that tend to have a whole heap more money have higher number of comments, you know. So we kept our comments actively going. But that 200,000 um, really, you know, if we're talking about the, the number and just how we got there, that just came about by the fact that we knew that we were never gonna ask for, like it's Kickstarter suicide to ask for less than the bare minimum that you need, you know, and just hoping that you'll get more. 305,000 AUD is what we ended up getting in, and then we got, I think, 30K more or something like that in slacker backers after that. But that's not even close to a third of our budget or a quarter of our budget. Like the budget for Armello is over $1.5 million, really, when you count in-kind time and funding and our own personal investments of, you know, cold, hard cash and savings. So, you know, it's, and this is a bit of the problem with Kickstarter as well, is that the perception of the public is if you go and you start Googling about Armello and you start researching it, you say, oh, 
whoa, they made 300,000 on Kickstarter, okay, and they got a bit of money from IndieFund, I see, and no one knows how much that is, you know, because it's not really, not um, public knowledge. And you start doing the math in your head of someone just looking at Armello, you think, oh, well, okay, maybe it's like a 300,000, $500,000 indie project, but really it's three times that. And I think that's the case for every Kickstarter, really. Is it something you think about doing in the future for other stuff that you'd be working on? Or is it <laughs> now that you've know. kind of hit that point, you can go, well, we've got other ways of... Yeah, that's, we would definitely, like, it always was a last resort for us before. Like, if we didn't get that Kickstarter money, we would have packed up the project, essentially. I think now that we have, where we're at with the studio and the success we've had with Armello, we wouldn't just go back to Kickstarter because, hey, we were able to get a bunch of money from Kickstarter. Kickstarter's seen as, especially from people who haven't done it before, it's definitely seen as free money. So you really want it to be a jerk as people have on Kickstarter. You can probably walk with the money, right? So people are like, oh yeah, there's not a bunch of stuff keeping you pinned down to it. And then you don't have a publisher and blah, blah, blah. But really at the end of the day, you do. You have 6,000 publishers and you have 6,000 separate individual expectations of what the end product is gonna be. And then you have 6,000 people there before the product is finished. In our case, a year and a half before the product is finished. So, you know, especially if it's your studio's first game, that's a com you have a community to manage. So we had a community manager on, like Lisi came up when she started as our community manager. We didn't have a game that was released, you know? And so that all has a cost and you slip up. And this is one of, there is an issue, there, well, there are a number of issues with Kickstarter, but one of the biggest ones is, you know, um, the perception thing is what people expect from the project and that it, Kickstarter promotes the ideal. It's like, give us money and we will make this. And it's like, okay, well, you got the money. Why has it changed? And it's like, well, things change every day. And so we had some changes that came through our project, um, you know, that, that some of the community wasn't happy with, like a very small section of the community wasn't happy with. And that created hell like in our lives for, I don't know, like a couple of weeks, you know, it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. Um, so there are things like that that you estimate that that's not because we really stuffed anything up beyond, you know, what any normal person or developer would be capable of. Um, it's just, it was just normal course of development. And so we could do a project and plan everything out perfectly. And then um, six months into it, something shifts and you're like, oh, okay, well now we're going to, which is horrible feeling. We're going to upset a bunch of backers, but you know, okay, now we've got to go to them and communicate why this is and blah, blah, blah. So what's the, I guess, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made that you suggest to other people not to kind of keep an eye out for or think very carefully about when they're doing something like this? So, um, yeah, we have some very good friends at a number of studios around the world that have run big Kickstarters. And one of the big things that they said to us were like stretch goals, stretch goals will kill you. Watch your stretch goals. Like don't even do them if you have the chance. Um, but you know, be careful about them. So we didn't do anything crazy like, hey, we'll come to Xbox and PS4 if we get 50 more, 50,000 more dollars or anything like that. But we still screwed up. Like we did, we said that we would do 12 languages and it just ended up being a crazy huge expense. And that wasn't just because we chose to do 12 languages. There are other, you know, um, decisions that we made along the way that helped that <laughs> become such a big thing. Um, but yeah, like your stretch goals and it's somewhere a lot of people email um, us or reach out to us for feedback on their Kickstarters. And that's one of the things that guaranteed in every email, like, why do you have this stretch goal? That's insanity. Like think about, actually do the math on that. It's not possible. And it's not worth like hanging your, hanging your studio for that. Um, just to get that extra bit of cash. I think another thing that we did is we had some exclusive content. 
um, that was exclusive to backers and it turned out that we just technically weren't even able to deliver on that and so that's one of those things that you know you investigate it as much as you possibly can and then you come back to it six months later when you reach that task and you're like oh god we can't even do that oh wow okay and so you know there's that that's a big thing as well so definitely be careful it's just be careful what you're offering you know or what you're what you're sort of um committing to um and then i guess just it's really it's more like i could rant all day on kickstarter like little tidbits of wisdom and everything um after doing that campaign running for 30 days and seeing so many different projects and talking to kickstarter so much but at the end of the day, it's it's all there. Like the the data is there. You can just data mine Kickstarter as a website. You can look at it, you can see what works, what doesn't work, you know, like just little things like having a video, how much more important that is. All of that stuff is so important. Um, that, you know, the for the couple of mistakes that we made, you know, and that I can say like, hey, don't do this, there's a million more that you can that you can definitely fall into. Um, but I think the big one is that Kickstarter like just Kickstarter is not free money. And those 30 days, if you're doing a campaign properly, like if you're properly committed to running a successful campaign, like a big one, it's gonna be the worst 30 days of your life, essentially. We called it the 30 days of despair, you know, because it's just this dark, this weird dark spell that you've, that you've just cast or like, you know, that you're trying to control and you don't know, you're putting things in, but it's not reacting, then you're doing other things and it is reacting and you have no idea how to tame this beast or you know what to do to make it work properly. And then at the end, you're just like, you just get a bunch of money and then you have 6,000 people who are like, all right, I'm watching you. So don't go into it, you know, don't just think it's a thing where you, oh yeah, we'll just write up a campaign and then press the button and it'll just happen. It's like, it, for us, it was about six to 12 months of like research and active prep and then a month of dedicated full-time work all of us on it getting the campaign ready and then 30 days of like f average of two out two to four hours sleep a night and then after that obviously all the work that went into you know making the game and everything and managing the community that was Trent Custers. He's from League of Geeks. Uh, their game is Armello. You can find it on all the websites. They're on at Armello Game and Armello.com. Do yourself a favor and check them out. They are great people and they were very nice to chat to us during the week. That's all we've got time for today. That's the end of our show. Uh, you can visit our website. It's www.radiomurdoch.com forward slash pixel sift. Scott, where can people find us if they want to check us out on social media? People, you all can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixel sift, twitter.com forward slash pixel sift, and twitch tv forward slash pixel sift. Which you may have been watching right now if you're mm -hmm. looking at us online, looking at our lovely faces in our ghetto studio. Oh. And Mitch, if people want to have a look at our previous episodes, uh, well, I guess look at them and then click at them and then listen to yeah. them. Where are they going to go to? All right, pretty much you can go check us out on Radio Murdoch page to stream episodes or subscribe to our podcast on either Twitter, um, on iTunes, not Twitter, um, or use the RSS link on our page. You could also go on Pocket Cast as well if you're on Android. That's an yep. Australian company, so check them out as well. That's all we've got time for today, so we will see you again this time next week. See ya. For another episode of Pixel Sift. Catch you later. Bye. Picture 
Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 